0: church how about our own piano man Scott Garrett back there this morning little Billy Joel to get us kicking off cuz we are in a series called Living the Dream and our pastor Justin not living his dream this week. He actually found out that he was going to have to have surgery on his eye late in the week. He is recovering. I think he sent a picture in here, let you know that he is okay, but he is down for the count right now. So he appreciate and I know he wouldn't ask, but pray for him. Just hope that he gets back recovered quickly. He's got to rest up and pray for Angie taking care of him. Amen. That's right, so we are glad that he is okay. He has got through, is recovering, but I get to fill in today, and to be honest, his notes were done ahead of time, so I went and looked at him, and he examples talked about the fun run, That fun run, well, the 5K that he did in New York, so I can't talk directly about that, but Terry Seaman, who went on the trip, posted this about this. Last week, Justin was there in New York with a group of his life group guys, some people that went with him, and they were doing good. It's called Tunnels to Towers. They got to go to New York City and actually, be a part of this 5k that was based on a fireman who gave his life during 9-11 they do it a couple weeks after 9-11 every year and Justin and a group of them went up there look at all the people thousands and thousands of people do this 5k they go and are a part of this there's the group that went with them hanging out the Empire State Building in the rain with some of New York's finest all kinds of good stuff so y'all give it up for that group that dream team that was there and Exciting news for those of you who've been around Simple Church a long time. There was even a proposal on the trip. Eddie Faith, our very own, proposed to Elizabeth. We were excited for them. If you don't know them, it's a big deal. We're excited. So we're glad for them. It was a great trip. And they were living their dream. It was Justin's dream team of going and being in New York City. And that's what we're talking about today. But I'm going to be honest. When I looked at his notes, I kind of had to go back because he pulled some 90 references. Shocking, right, that he went back to the 80s and 90s. Yeah, a couple of you get that, but that's a big deal to him. That is his era, his decade. I was born in 1987, so some of that doesn't necessarily translate, but I do remember the dream teams. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I want to talk about the dream team. Three of you. Good. Well, I'm about to educate you because this year was 1992. It was the Olympics, and the USA basketball had not won the gold medal, the best in the world, but the NBA players did not play, so... They went back, and to give you a little bit of frame of reference where I was in my life, this was me in 1992 versus Justin. This is not Photoshopped, I think we have a picture here. Maybe. There we go, Justin was an actual Gadzooks model with a mullet, that is real, and that was me in 1992, I was five years old. but. Both of us, our paths converged when this was the biggest story in America, NBA Dream Team, and I found a video to help you remember. If you hadn't been back there in a while, some of you weren't born yet, let's go back to 1992 real quick and look at the Dream Team. Watch.
1: Never before, And never again will there be such a team, 11 Hall of Famers, the most magnificent assemblage of athletic talent ever gathered together on one roster in any sport at any time. Its mission, to reclaim for the U.S. the Men's Olympic Basketball Championship.
2: I'm sitting here saying, I'm playing with the greatest basketball players in the world. I still can't believe that we're all together on one team.
1: For more than half a century, the U.S. was so dominant in basketball that its collegiate players were all that was needed to win the gold. But by the 1988 Olympics, the de facto pros from the rest of the world were catching up. After the U.S. won only the bronze medal at the Olympics in Seoul, the college kids were jettisoned. The new approach was made official in September 1991 when it was announced that the following summer in Barcelona, the U.S. would be fielding a team of basketball icons, a dream team.
2: I missed my chance in 1980. I was hurt by the fact that I didn't get a chance to compete for a gold medal, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm kind of disappointed that the teams from the United States have lost the last couple of years, and it's frustrating, especially the way those other teams be running and jumping around like they've done something special. It kind of really makes me mad.
1: Initially the plan was still to include several college players, but when it became clear that the NBA's elite were willing to forego their summer vacations, that changed. Eventually, the selection committee would name only one collegiate, Dukes Christian Leitner. The other eleven players would be pros, the best of the best. Remember this? So bring it a bell?
0: Yeah, that's right. Michael Jordan, the cover of magazines. I'm pretty sure I had a kid's meal at that time that had a dream team toy in it. It was everywhere. And we're talking about living the dream. We're in this series and we want to be thinking about what is your dream team? So they do this in other sports, right? If you're a college football fan, the greatest college football players of all time. But this really set the mark of the best of the best coming together, winning the gold. It's a great story. There's like a five-part documentary that I looked up and saw parts of. It's everywhere it was a big deal and they stand on the podium at the end representing america getting the gold medal spoiler alert they do win it all and it was a big thing in culture but as you hear more about this and the players are talking about it, and they're opening up and being more honest later there was drama there was stuff going on behind the scenes and ultimately to win to come together as a team they had to give up their egos they had to check their ego at the door or another way to put it is pride and this was a little bit talked to today. It's like, why are we talking about basketball in the 90s and going to all this weird stuff at church? It's because pride is a big issue that God talks about a lot. And when he says things like this, sometimes you're like, I don't really know what the Bible says, or it's hard to understand, or so long ago, it's unclear. Let's see if we can break this down for you. I don't know the Greek origins of it, but I think it's pretty clear here. Proverbs 8:13, Hebrews, that's right. I hate pride and arrogance. God speaking directly to them, speaking to us now through the Bible, about as clear as it gets. This is something that's a big deal that God hates. And hate's a strong word, right? We don't like, like, I don't tell my kids to say they don't hate somebody. This is something that we don't throw around lightly a lot. And we all know that hate leads to the dark side. Okay, a couple of you, good. The rest of you, go see Star Wars. That's good. But this is the Bible. This is real life. This is something that we believe as Christians, when God says it, we should listen. First Peter in the New Testament says it another way, like this. God works against those who have pride. Anybody wake up this morning and say, you know what? I hope God's against me today. That's a bad prayer. That's not gonna go well for you. He, God, gives his loving favor to those who do not try, who do not try to honor themselves. So put away all pride from yourselves and at the right time, he will lift you up. Pride is important. Pride is something that most of us don't really like talking about or we even encourage, right? We have a pride in ourselves. I take pride in my work. I'm proud of my family. And there are things that are good and there are things that are healthy and then there's things that we start to get a little bit out of control with. And so as we're talking about this series, as we're given this idea of living the dream, everybody wants to live their dream. The problem is a lot of people don't even know what their dream is. We asked some people in the lobby and put it on TikTok a couple weeks ago. Follow Simple Church on TikTok, by the way. And we said, what is your dream? And you're put on the spot, this moment, you just, some people talk about their family, their kids, and one teenager said, my dream is to have a house and a boat. And you can laugh, but some of you... That hits a little close to home when you think like my whole life, everything I want to be known for, I'm dreaming of buying a boat. And then if you've had a boat, you know there's always a bigger boat. I have a friend who's flipped boats multiple times and there's always one more. He got the boat of his dreams until next year's boat comes out. Boats might not be your thing, but all of us, if we're honest, are looking and chasing the next thing, right? If you achieve a dream that you have It's never gonna be enough. You wanna keep going, you keep looking at it. So if you're gonna live the dream, it starts with a heart issue. And God over and over tells us that pride is a major factor that keeps us from living our dream. So if you're gonna live your dream, you have to get rid of pride. It's hard enough trying to do life on your own. The last thing you want is God actively working against you, right? And he clearly says here, if you are trying to be prideful, if you're putting yourself first, if you're putting yourself above other people above God, this is not a good formula because pride says, I don't need anybody, right? Don't point, don't elbow, but do we know somebody that's like, oh, I just pulled myself up by my bootstraps, brother. I know this, I just, I'm a hard made, self-made person and I've done this and I've done this. Like some of you, you're offended right now, I even said that. But if we're honest, if we really look inside, we cannot say that there was not people along the way that helped you. And let's just say at the very bottom, you're an orphan that raised yourself, that did everything. You made your own money by the time you were born. You had someone that you wiped your own diapers and changed your own stuff. If you truly are the self-made person, we believe, Christians believe, that God is the one that gave you that ability to do that. So you ultimately cannot say you did anything on your own. Proverbs 16, go back to the Bible, says this. Pride is the first step towards destruction. Proud thoughts will lead you to defeat. That's true in sports. I'm a sports fan. This dream team example, they could not have done what they did and didn't come together in this documentary and these videos and these interviews talk about these mega superstar, biggest athlete, ego, prideful people in the world checking it to be able to come together as a team and win. And that's what we want for you. And that's what God wants for you is to check your pride, and to be a part of a team and something bigger than yourself. Because the pride sleeps in. It tries to get in there. It sneaks into your body, your mind, and you're thinking. And you say, well, I'm, I'm good. I don't need anybody else. Or, I've got my couple people. We worked hard and we did this. And, well, they can just do it like I did it. They can just figure it out. And we start to get hardened and less empathetic to the people that God loves. I was a youth pastor here for a long time. I still see teenagers, talk to teenagers a lot. Some of you, you avoid teenagers like the plague. But there's a prevalence in society, the younger generations behind you. And this idea is that, well, you know what? I'm just gonna live my truth. I'm gonna do my own thing. Truth is relative. What's good for me may not be good for you, but just let me live my life, man. Let's let me go and do my thing. And I'm not sure if I really believe that. And that's so harsh. And this is, it's this weird kind of just muddy belief system that permeates inspirational Instagram and TikToks and all this stuff and it doesn't seem bad on the surface but it's deceptive and if you've taken a psychology class you went in college, you might have heard of this guy Frederick Nietzsche, I had to look up how to say his name right his famous quote is God is dead you might have seen or heard or somebody put on Facebook that this belief that society, culture as a whole depended on religion but now the enlightened man, the current times We're above this. And this is what he had to say about your pride, your ego. The individual has always had to struggle to keep from being overwhelmed by the tribe. If you try it, you will be lonely often and sometimes frightened. But no price is too high to pay for the privilege of owning yourself. And if you follow stuff online, you get this inspirational kind of side. You see these things. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Do what makes you feel good. Do this thing and chase these dreams like we ultimately know what's best for ourselves. And most of the time, we don't. We're not smart enough. We think we know and we chase one thing and it leads us to a path of defeat. Rick Warren is a pastor, wrote a book called Purpose Driven Life, really inspirational, encouraging. And this was his rebuttal. This is an idea about individualism that I really liked. America was built on rugged individualism and today that has evolved into a culture of narcissism. But God didn't create you to live for you. If you wanna follow Jesus, you have to put aside your own selfish ambitions. Having dreams is not bad. I believe God puts dreams in our heart. There are things that you are working for and striving for and are proud of that are good things. But you are the only person that knows deep down what are you living for? What is really your ultimate dream? One of my favorite movies is It's a Wonderful Life, Christmas, just around the corner. I get in a fight with a couple people at the office regularly about how much I like this movie and how wrong they are about how boring and old it is. But I am so moved, and I think maybe it's just my personality connects with this guy, George Bailey, who's given his whole life... In Bedford Falls, you get to see from the up high view time after time after time that he sacrificed, that he gives, that he does the hard thing. It's not about him. And if you know the movie, an angel visits him and shows him what his life would have been like if he'd never been born. Some of you maybe have been at a low point where you think nobody cares. Nobody would have even noticed him. I'm not here. And in this movie, in this fictional telling, I'm not saying everything in it is 100% accurate, but I do believe that this quote from Clarence, the angel that's there with him, rings true. He tells George, strange isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? And some of you, you've been affected by the whole of someone in your life, a parent, a friend, a spouse that's not there anymore, that chose not to be there, that's passed away, and you know What a hole it leaves when someone you care about is not there. And we as a church, as Christians, as believers, are left here on earth to make earth more like heaven. And the way that we do that is loving other people, of trying to do good. That's why over and over we talk about it, we say this, because when you serve somebody else, it makes an impact on them in ways that you never even really can fully understand. And that's who we want to be. That is our dream. And we want you to be a part of it. Because when you start walking down the wrong direction, that direction of defeat, of pride, of I can do it, I'm great, I got this, I don't need anybody else, I'm a self-made person, you go and end up empty. So Simple Church started 16 years ago. The one-year anniversary was my first Sunday. I've been here since 2008. 15 years of over and over and over again seeing people sacrifice and give and serve not to make Justin great, not to make Justin this big brand that's going to go speak on national platforms and to go and be all the famous pastor and be the most influential thing. I've spent a lot of time with Justin, and I can honestly tell you that has never been his heart. It's to serve and to make our city better, the city that he's from, born and raised in, that I'm raising kids in with my family. I want Shreveport-Bosier to be better. And now through online, being the online pastor, we're able to talk and speak with some of you that are watching all over the world. My friend Davin is watching in Korea right now. It's 1 a.m. It's an amazing chance for us to go and to help encourage people to do good, to help to make a difference, to be the change. But we can't do it on our own. So Justin wrote this. It's pretty catchy. He's good at this. Living the dream takes a team. Remember things that rhyme better, Right? Living the dream takes a team. So I went back and I actually found pictures of the Simple Church first birthday party, 2008, in the building we're actually moving back to now, ironically, 15 years later. And I wanted to just highlight some people that have still been serving, been a part of the team here. And the first, my wife, we were dating in 2008. Look at those young kids. She showed up and was willing to come and help be a volunteer with the student ministry, help me to be a youth pastor. We dated. We got engaged the next year, got married in 2010. And for 13 years, I could not do what I've done without her. And now we have three kids together. Life looked a lot different than when we started Simple Church. But she's been a part of the team from the beginning. I pulled these. I was talking to Chuck backstage a minute ago. Chuck sang this morning, but it's really John. My friend that showed up that said, hey, I want to volunteer and help students in youth ministry to learn to do music. He's passionate about music. Can I help lead a student band? We'll play and do some student service stuff. And he invited Chuck. And now Chuck and John are here. Chuck's raising a family here. John has his kids here. Their lives are different because they stepped out and he had his dream of playing music. And I am not musically inclined at all. (laughs) And I said, man, that'd be great, do it. And now these teenagers, dozens of them over the years that it played back then are better because of John and Chuck living their dream. Then I found one to Chip. This is actually the last time Chip smiled on a Sunday morning. (laughs) We found the evidence. 2008, he was there, run the service. Chip is backstage right now. Him and the team of people that make this happen every week are incredible. They've got a tear down tonight after this meeting. It is a lot of work but Chip was actually my high school pastor. And I'm so thankful that Chip allowed me to be an intern when I felt called to ministry in high school to help encourage me. And then when Simple Church started, asked me to be a youth pastor. Chip poured into me and now I get to be a part of living my dream. I pull up Brooke Romero. I didn't ask her permission. She's probably embarrassed. But Brooke is upstairs right now in a kindergarten room with my five-year-old daughter. God bless her. 15 years ago, they were serving. Her kids were little. She was still given time as a teacher to still show up on Sunday and volunteer in kids ministry and is still doing it today. And my family's better for it. Eliza, my daughter, is better for her giving up her time and her energy when she didn't have to. Brandon, me and Brandon. I got to know Brandon. I didn't know Brandon from Adam. Our job was to move and set up the stuff at the bar in 2008. That was my first thing I had to do. So we got together and would set up and carry equipment when the elevator was broken, which was often back then. We're getting it fixed, don't worry. And it's going to be over and over again working and getting to know Brandon and his family and his kids. And all this happens because he was willing to come and be a part of the team. And then this one I cheated a little. It's not really 2008, but when I was the middle school pastor, I asked Blake, who's now our middle school pastor, to come. Oh, we'll skip around one, but go back to the other one, because Blake made this for our life group leaders. When I said, hey, will you make a slide that has our life group leaders on it? That's what he went with. There you go, that's Blake for you. But I love these people that were willing to come and host a life group in their home, serve in student ministry. Over 15 years, I had over 100 student ministry volunteers that were willing to come and choose to be around teenagers. And that's just a little bit of what happens every Sunday, at the Simple Church. Bruce Lynn, who sets up the signs every week, has done it since the beginning, sent me this picture. This was the last Sunday at the boardwalk in 2011 before we moved here at the convention center. And this was a team of people that were there working, serving, giving up their early mornings, pulling trailers, cleaning bathrooms of people that have done it. Over and over and over again, I've seen what happens when we work together to do more than we could on our own. So this is something we say around the office a lot. I think Justin kind of started it and obviously he didn't invent it, but he says a lot, teamwork makes the dream work. And this is like a cheesy motivational poster that your HR person put in your office, right? But it's true that if you were gonna live your dream, you cannot do it alone. And ultimately at the end of the day, we have to depend on other people to work together. And that's how God created us. That's why we are made to be in community, to be a part of a church, this body that works together to do more than it could on its own. It's not just a cheesy motivational phrase. It's biblical. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says this, when two people work together, they get more work done. It's just science, it's the way the world works, it's the way we're created, that we can't do as much on our own by ourselves as a lone ranger as we can with a team. So a little peek behind the curtain, Justin's notes were done, and he had three Steve Hartman videos in here today. Three, that man loves Steve Hartman, and they're really good, but I switched one out. So sorry, Justin, if you're watching. This is a video of two guys who were friends, working a job in an office, that had this dream and we celebrate the difference they've made now in the lives of a million plus people. Watch.
3: These are socks. This is a tattoo shop. This is Dave. Dave didn't want a tattoo. This is Dave getting a tattoo. Why is Dave getting a tattoo? Four years ago, Dave worked for a media company. I worked there too. We became friends. We worked out together. We had lunch together. We talked about starting a business together, but it was just talk. Then one day, Dave saw a quote on Facebook that said, socks are the number one most requested clothing item in homeless shelters. Dave said to himself, why is that? Well, it turns out you can't donate used socks for obvious reasons. And if you sleep on the street, you probably don't take your shoes off at night because you're afraid they're gonna get stolen. You might not own a car, you might not own a bike, so you're probably walking everywhere too your socks get worn out, and you don't have as many chances to wash your clothes. All that adds up to major foot issues. This is the world we live in, but we believe it doesn't have to be. We can do something about it. So we did. We quit our jobs and started a sock company. We named it Bombus after the Latin word for bumblebee. Bees live in a hive, they work together. They're small, but their combined actions have a big impact, which is why we made our mantra, be better. This is what we do. One pair purchased equals one pair donated. To donate a lot of socks, we knew we needed to sell a lot of socks. And to sell a lot of socks, we needed to make the best socks in the history of feet. We started with this. Tore it apart and changed everything we didn't like. Socks shouldn't have an annoying scene. Fixed. Socks shouldn't fall down. Fixed. Socks should provide support where you need it most. Fixed. It took two years to make our dream socks. We thought we had something special, but we didn't know if anyone else would think so, which is why Dave said, if we donate a million pairs of socks, I'll get a tattoo to celebrate. I said, I'll hold the camera. He said, deal. And we went about our business. But then something happened. People loved our socks here and here, 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 here. They bought a lot and we donated a lot. Our supporters became evangelists, not that kind, that kind. And instead of taking 10 years to donate a million pairs of socks, it took two and a half years. A million pairs. A million in two and a half years. That's over a thousand pairs a day. It was hard to believe. It's surreal. So Dave got that tattoo, which means he can show it off at dinner parties and say things like, I'm so smart and successful. Just kidding, he's not gonna do that.
0: That would be prideful, right? So this video is actually outdated, that's right, you can give him a round of applause. To date, since they started in 2014, they just hit 100 million pairs of socks and now underwear and t-shirts that they've donated and given away because of selling socks. I'm wearing a pair of Bombas right now, we've sold them in the Do Good store, they are a great sock. They did not pay to sponsor this content, but if you're gonna buy socks, you really should buy some good ones because now 100 million items have been given away and even cooler than that to me, and they have some other great videos about this, follow them online if we go to the other slide. They started with one shelter that they were donating in 2013. Now 3,500 organizations, all they do is apply to get free socks and the rescue mission in Shreveport gets socks from Bombus, The hub that we partner with and work with a lot is on the list and get socks because these guys had a dream. They were two friends, coworkers, they lived it out. And if you sat down today and said, I wish I could make a difference of a hundred million things of anything, we wouldn't know where to start. But they chased their dream, they worked together, and they've done good for a lot of people. We all are stronger together. None of us can do life alone. This is ancient wisdom, this is what the Bible has said for generation after generation after generation of God's truth because he knows how he made us. We're wired this way. Ecclesiastes 4 says an enemy might be able to defeat one person, but two people can stand back to back and defend each other. Three people are even stronger. They are like a rope that has three parts wrapped together. It is very hard to break. The better we are is directly proportional to how many people in your life you're allowing to challenge you to grow, to be better. So it's a lot of sports analogies today. I'm a sports fan, I'm sorry if that's not your thing, but Steve Hartman did have another great video. This one I kept in because we love an example of somebody living out what we talk about up here. And he finds some great stories. Jesus had a team, right? He had 12 disciples, 12 apostles that were there with him. He knocked out Judas and it's actually 11. So he had 11 starting football team of guys together. And this video of one football team of middle schoolers got it and did something where it's not just about them, and it changed all of them. Watch.
2: Between classes, they schemed and conspired. For weeks, the football players here at Olivet Middle School in Olivet, Michigan, secretly planned their remarkable play. Did anybody go, this is a crazy idea?
0: No, everyone was in on it. But like the coaches didn't know
2: anything about it. So we were like going behind their back. I've just never heard of a team coming up with a plan to not score.
0: It's just like to make someone's day, make someone's week, just make them happy.
2: The play, which was two plays actually, happened at a home game earlier this month. The first part of their plan was to try to get as close to the goal line as possible without scoring even if it meant taking a dive on the one-yard line, which it did. The crowd was not happy. Quarterback Parker Smith. But us kids knew, hey, we
0: got this. This is our time. This is Keith's time.
2: Keith Orr is the little kid in the brown jacket. He's learning disabled, struggles with boundaries, but in the sweetest possible way. Hug. Because of his special nature, it's no surprise that Keith embraces his fellow football players.
1: Hug, Gabe.
2: What is surprising is how they have embraced him.
0: Hello. We thought it'd be cool to do something for him because we really wanted to prove that he was part of our team and he meant a lot to us nothing can really explain getting a touchdown when you've never had one before
2: which brings us to part two of their play if you didn't see keith it's because they were so protective of him but he was in the middle of that rush and when you crossed the goal line what was that like
3: awesome <laughs> it was like did he just score a touchdown get your well, camera out Like. ah!
2: Keith's parents Carrie and Jim almost missed the moment but they got the significance somebody's always going to have his back from now until the day he graduates she's right when the football team decides you're cool pretty much everyone follows suit today Keith is a new kid although by no means was he the only one who was profoundly changed what was it like for you
0: it was like like once I saw him going I was smiling like about like here
2: Wide receiver, Justice
0: Miller. (laughs) Like, nothing could wipe that smile off my face.
2: Why did it affect you so much?
0: Because, like, he's never been, like, cool or popular, and he went from being, like, pretty much a nobody to making everyone's day.
2: Justice admits the play wasn't his idea. I would have not really thought about that. He says it never crossed his mind to give Keith any glory. Well,
3: I, I kind of went from being somebody like, mostly cared about myself and my friends to caring about everyone and trying to make everyone's day and everyone's life
2: which may just make that touchdown the most successful football play of all time steve hartman on the road in olivet michigan
0: that's right give it up for them i spent a lot of time with middle school students i was a student pastor not a lot of middle school kids get that and for honest not a lot of adults get it either we're so wrapped up in our own success, and our own pride, and our own things. We miss the chance to be a blessing and in turn be blessed more than we ever would have thought. Having gone on mission trips over the years, serving with the hub downtown, doing all these different things, putting feet, putting feet, putting shoes on kids' feet. All of these different ways to do good. We go in thinking we're going to help them. And over and over again in my life and over and over again of hundreds of people that we've talked to and played videos of and heard from at Simple Church, they end up being blessed when they serve somebody else. It's counterintuitive. It's backwards than what the world says. We don't think it's right. But when you try it, you start to realize that it really is contagious to do good for somebody else because you were made to live that way. Living Living the dream takes a team can't do it on your own a great example of this is in our own staff text amber our life group coordinator had been sending updates the last couple weeks because somebody in her life group had a health scare had something horrible she's in the hospital for weeks and amber has gone up to check on her over and over and over again amber showed up at her darkest moments to be there to help to advocate for her to encourage her when she's down and these last couple weeks susan's had a tough ride Some of you, you have family members. Maybe you yourself have been hospitalized. You've been in those dark moments when things don't know if they're gonna work out. We don't know what's gonna happen. And Susan is doing better. Amber sent a picture this week of the difference over a couple weeks. And I'm so thankful Amber was there for Susan. And I'm thankful that there are people that have been there in my life. And I pray and hope that there will be people there for my kids' lives that show up when they need it, Other people need it. And you might feel like you're alone, that maybe nobody showed up for yours, so I'm not gonna do anything for anybody else. My friends didn't show up for me and help me in my time of need. And you've been hurt. And you've hardened yourself so you don't let people in, so you don't think that they can let you down again. In student ministry, it's so many of it is a father wound of a dad that left, a mom that's not there anymore a friend that betrayed him. And one thing Justin told me early on when he was starting Simple Church, because he was a youth pastor for a long time, is that most adult problems are just problems we didn't deal with as teenagers. And you have a lot more money now and you have a lot more freedom to do what you want to and you don't have your parents living with you, but you're still wrestling with these same hurts and hangups and things that it's really hard to get out of. So we turn to the Bible, we turn to what God says. Ecclesiastes 4.10, if one person falls, the other person can reach out to help. But those who are alone when they fall have no one to help them. At the end of It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey's at a dark place. He's gonna literally kill himself and thinks the world will be better off without him. God sends an angel, don't know about the theology of that, but it's a good movie. And they show up and show him what his life would have been like if he hadn't been there and everything in the town was worse. Everybody's life was worse. And there are people in your life who need you today to show up to be there, whether they've let you down before, whether you've done it or not, because you matter, and you matter to the people that need you the most today. Ironically, Justin wrote this before he knew it was gonna happen this week. Health is a big deal. That's absolutely right. And individually, it's hard to do that when we're not healthy personally, physically. It's hard when we're not healthy emotionally and spiritually. But as a church, it's hard to do what we feel like God wants us to do as a church if we're not healthy, if we're not collectively working together. Ephesians 4.16 uses this analogy of the church, of God's people being like a body. We're joined and held together with each part doing its own work. And this causes the whole body to grow and be stronger. In Simple Church's history, this is a pivotal moment. This is a time that we need you because we want to continue to grow, to reach more people, to do more good. And that cannot happen without more volunteers. Tonight, we're doing this thing. We're calling the Boardwalk Launch because we're moving back to the Boardwalk Theater starting in January. We'll go over all the details and everything you wanna know tonight if you could be here at five o'clock. But some of you, you've volunteered and you've done it a long time. Thank you. Some of you, you might've gotten out of the practice. You're watching online today. We're glad you're a part of the church online. But this is a time that we need people to be in person, helping, serving, making it not about them, getting up a little earlier. Not so we can say, oh, look at Simple Church. We're great. We're the biggest, we're the best. But because hurting people walk into the doors every Sunday looking for hope, looking for answers. And we're adding a new service time. There's gonna be new challenges and things that happen at the boardwalk that have never happened before. And we need you, not the person next to you, not like, well, I did this in 2015, so I'm good. I checked the box off. We need more people than ever to help, to continue to do good, to be a smiling face, greeting somebody as they walk in, to take care of a kid. A family that's come and looking for something to grab a hold of that they hope their middle schooler makes it not about them and does something besides try to score a touchdown to be encouraged and inspired. But that doesn't happen without volunteers and we need you to be a part of that team. Just real quick and aside to some of you guys that maybe you think, you know, I just snuck in the back. I don't really think you're talking to me, Evan. I don't want that. You don't know my story. You don't know my history. You don't know my past. I'm jacked up. God can't use me. I'm done. I'm just, I'm just trying to not make my life worse. I barely got here today. I want to share a letter. I got named Paul. Wrote to a church in Corinth thousands of years ago. Corinth was a major city. It was one of the 10 biggest cities in the Roman Empire. And if you've been online and seen things about the Roman Empire, now you've thought about the Roman Empire today. Nobody? Oh man, it's good. Look it up. It's something that is still important today because this major city this problem that was going on is a booming economy trade city things were good people were trying to figure it out this the greek philosophy meeting this new messiah this religion that was blowing up and paul plants a church in the city of corinth it's about four years old when he writes this letter it's only probably about 150 people and they've got a lot of problems go read the book of first corinthians if you haven't in a while And this is what he tells them to encourage them. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life, being a part of the church. I don't see many of the brightest and best time out there. So you're sitting there in Corinth, and they're like, oh, we got a letter from Paul. They're like, hey, he's going to write us some stuff. Like, hey, (laughs) wait a second. Not many influential and not many from high society families. Like, you'd probably be a little offended, right? Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? He chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by without blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. This we're not the best and brightest. Simple Church, that's something that we've never been accused of. We don't have doctors on staff. We don't have theology majors. It's not a super smart organization. No offense to everybody in it. But we're trying to put other people First. And this is probably the thing you'll remember today. Justin wrote this. I don't really know how I feel about using these words, but here we are. Don't toot your own horn, toot God's. That's a Justin Haglerism for you. It's probably not gonna be a do-good shirt anytime soon, but it's not about us. It's not about me. I get to be on this stage right now on the lights and people tell me I do a good job in the lobby and I'm so thankful, but it's more important to me to have the conversations, to talk to people to be able to check with them and see, to be able to go and gather up instruments and supplies and all these different things that we do to go be a blessing to somebody else. In Philippians, it says it this way, I will hear good things about you. I will know that you stand together with the same purpose and that you work together like a team to help others. So at the end of the day, if you're not a part of the team, if you're not a part of the church, if your dream does not involve helping other people, what are you really living for? The promotion, the next house, your kids. I get this temptation now as a parent where you wanna pour in and help your kids so much to make as many of their dreams come true. It's a good thing, but it can't be the only thing. What are you living for? I saw this interview years ago. It's this little known football player named Tom Brady you might've heard of. And he's gone and won multiple Super Bowls, reached a level of success that almost no one on earth has ever achieved before. He had these dreams, marry a supermodel, make all the money, be loved and appreciated and applauded. And in this candid moment in one interview you can tell he's really wrestling with what he's living for. Watch and we'll come back.
2: Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it I'm 27, and what else is there for me? What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew.
0: We think the answer is Jesus, that it's about dying to yourself and giving up the things that you want for the sake of someone else. Not that you can't have dreams, not that you can't have goals. They're good things, but they can't be the only thing. I think about those middle school football players in that Steve Hartman video that probably idolized Tom Brady, that look up to him as one of the greatest to play the game ever. And we see people online and we live in this world that looks up to celebrities and puts them on pedestals and idolizes what could be. And over and over and over again, you hear that they're unhappy, that something's wrong. When you get a peek into the curtain when they're honest and not projecting an image, they're miserable people because their dreams will never ultimately satisfy. We were made to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Living the dream, if you wanna know, you came in here today, you're trying to figure out your dream, what does that look like? What is that gonna be in my life? Living the dream takes a team. You can't do it alone. So I'm gonna wrap up, but before I do, because everybody's gonna try to beat us out to lunch, you start sneaking out if I pray first. I know y'all, we see it. You're not fooling anybody. Take five more minutes because we want to talk about the Revel. The Red River Revel is an arts festival here in town. If you're new, you haven't been around. It's a big deal. It's a part of our city, our culture. If you're watching online around the world, it's a thing that happens. They take school field trips. It's got stuff for kids. It's live music. And we've got to partner with them before, and we're going to partner with them again to have a service next Sunday at the Red River Revel. It's outdoors. It's a great venue. We're excited to be able to be back with them again But all week there's gonna be booths, there's artists selling stuff, there's kids games, there's food. The Revel's a good time. But a couple years ago, we actually got to partner to encourage healthcare workers to have a booth that said thank you to the people serving our community day in and day out. And there's a ton of groups of people that deserve appreciation and recognition. But today, this week, we're focusing on teachers. My wife taught, my mom was a teacher. I had two grandparents that were a teacher. I'm passionate about this and I know if you've had kids that you've gone through school, there's problems and frustrations and things that are going on. But if we don't encourage teachers, if we aren't ones that are stepping in and saying, thank you, who else is going to? They're a part of our community, they're a part of our city and we as Simple Church wanna help to just do a small thing for them today. So at the Revel this week, tomorrow they're gonna to set up a booth. It's gonna have a do-good bus. We got it wrapped. Our friends that signed it actually helped us to do that. I think we have a picture. Look at that. And it's gonna have giveaways and stuff to say thank you to teachers. It's a small little thing. It's not gonna fix all the problems with education, but thousands of students come through and do field trips with their teachers. And we hope that they'll come by. If you're a teacher in this room, go by. Thank you. If you've had your kids taught by someone in public school, you should thank a teacher. (laughs) And we get busy and we're distracted. We're doing our own stuff. And before you leave, I just want to remind you what a difference a teacher can make. If you're a teacher, remind you that what you do matters. So one more Steve Hartman for you. He found out there's a teacher actually using his videos in the classroom and showed up to surprise him. Watch.
2: This week, I made a surprise visit to the Alhambra Traditional School in Phoenix. And although I anticipated a warm welcome, I was completely unprepared. Hello, class. For this. I mean, good gosh. It's not like I'm the rock. I'm a lump. But our connection clearly runs deep. Thanks to Mr. Derek Brown, who for more than a decade has been showing his fifth graders one of my stories every day. How do you justify it?
1: If nothing else matters. Math, English, reading, writing. Nothing matters if the kids aren't grounded and good. Here you go. And to that end...
2: I knew I was gonna get a hug. He says the Americans we meet on the road...
1: Hug, Gabe.
2: ...teach character oh. better than he ever could.
1: It's just to make you like a better person.
2: And how's it working?
1: It was working good. It made me more nicer to my little brother.
2: It made you nicer to your little brother. Yeah, I mean, I was I consider my career a success.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is a success.
2: And this isn't just happening in Phoenix. We have learned of other teachers across the country bringing on the road into the classroom. And the schools you see here are just the schools we know about. We estimate there are thousands of others. Which is why, to bring them all together, to share lesson plans and strategies, we have started a Facebook group called Kindness 101 for Teachers. If you know a teacher who might be interested, Mr. Brown says, please tell them about it. They have to let their kids see this. Kids have to connect to these. My stomach hurts, Mr. Brown. No, it doesn't. You're feeling. Lights, please. And when that happens, He says the possibility opens wide for kids to go from watching goodness to emulating it. I'd like to see him act it out so then maybe one of my kids could be the topic of one of your stories. That would be the ultimate. For both of us. Steve Hartman on the road in Phoenix.
0: This was actually a couple years ago. Give it up for him. That's right. And Justin's on Facebook. So I actually went and looked and they let me sneak in the group. 83,000 people in this Facebook group. 83,000 teachers, educators. It does say pastors, so I didn't have to lie to get in. That are able to use these resources. If you're a teacher, go check it out. It's so good. Because what you do matters. And we have a chance to influence the next generation. We have a chance to speak truth in their life so they don't end up successful reflecting at 27 and say, what is it all really about? I don't even know. You may be listening to this, maybe don't really know what you're living for. I'm gonna pray for us so we'll be done. But before you leave here, please take a minute. What we're asking you to do is write a thank you note to a teacher. We want a handwritten note. Some of you, it's been a long time since you handwrote a note. Go pick your kids up from upstairs and come back down and write a few thank you notes to teachers. If I need to stand in the hallway, I'll watch. I will do it. I'll make you feel guilty if you walk by and don't write a note. It's worth it because we want every teacher that comes by to get a note, to let them know someone thought about them. Take a minute and pray for them. Pray over the note. Pray for them as they deal with things in the classroom and families and kids that you'll never meet, that you'll never know that they see every day. Don't miss this opportunity to be a blessing. Come by the Revel this week. Go support, get something to eat and then join us next Sunday at the Revel as well for a great service out there. And thank you to all of you that have served, that have already given, that have done these things. It's a big deal and we can't do it alone. Let's pray. God, I come to you and I know someone listening to this feels low right now today. They came in hoping, God, that you would speak to them. They would get something out of it. They maybe couldn't even verbalize what they're feeling or what they're thinking about. But you know, God, you know their heart. You know what's going on inside of them. You know the dreams and goals you've put in their life. And I pray maybe today would lead to some conversations where they really challenge and think about what am I living for? Am I putting my career, my success, the money I make, the neighborhood I live in, my kids' extracurriculars, how successful they are? Am I putting all of this stuff that's not ultimately gonna matter at the top of my priority list? And God, I pray that we would walk out of here today as a church and not hurry out, not get to lunch, not blow this off, but take five minutes to write a note that will touch someone else's life that we might not ever know the impact it has this side of heaven. And I pray that as we celebrate together as a church next week at the Revel, we would be encouraged to know that hundreds and hundreds of teachers had someone that cared about them enough to write a note, to pray for them, and to know that they're not alone. And for the person in this room, God, that doesn't know you, that doesn't know what they're living for, God, I pray you would make it so clear today that they would reach out if they would like someone to pray with them. They would fill out the form, go to the app, talk to somebody before they leave. Because nothing is more important than you, Father. And you have our best interests at heart. You love us. You're not trying to keep us from doing the things that we want to do. But when we are walking the right path, when we're heading the right direction, You are guiding us to serve other people because it's the best life. It's the best way. I pray we can do that today.